So when we talk about membership, uh, usually what comes to mind for most people with membership is, is sort of a uh, kind of a consumeristic me- mentality. It's a, it's a natural thing for us to think membership equals someone serving me. Uh, the purpose is for them to serve, for them to give me something, right? If we sign up to be a member, if we join a club, if we're a member of something, then we think they have some sort of goods, they have some sort of service that we're likely paying them for, and therefore their job is to give me those goods, give me those services, serve me. We think about this with membership all the time. Gym membership. We pay a gym membership so they serve me with their equipment that I can use, right? Uh, We pay a Costco membership so we get those smoking deals for groceries and other things, right? We, We pay for a YMCA membership so we get to use those facilities, those rec rooms, the pools, right? We pay, we we are a member so you serve me, the member. And when we talk about what it means to be a member in the church, what I find is a lot of that mentality kind of trickles down into what a lot of people, what a lot of people think about uh, a church membership is. You know, when I I ask the average person, what what does it mean that you are a member of a church, that you're a member of the church, a lot of times what people will say is something like, well, uh, that, that means that I go to church, <laughs> that that's the place that I go to get worship, that's the place that I go to get fed. And I, I would never jump down anyone's throat for saying something like that, but if that's all it is, we're missing a lot. We're really missing a lot. And also in that is really a focus on me. I'm here to be served. I'm here to be fed. I'm here for me. And there's There's nothing else really attached to that, and it's missing an entire area of membership that we really need to address. And if we take a look at biblical membership, at church membership, if you will, when we look at it biblically, when we look at its scriptural context, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul gives this analogy of one body, but many members. He uses this analogy like, think of my body, my physical human being body. I have, I have many different parts, or as he says, many different members, but we're all one body. Five fingers, five toes, two disposable thumbs, you know, feet, ears, eyes, nose, right, mouth. All of these things. And, and his point is to say as different members, members are not to be served by the body, but rather members, all of you, make up a part of the body. In other words, you are there to serve the greater body. That's Paul's point. And, and why are we talking about this if we're supposed to be talking about Acts chapter 4? Well, well, Acts chapter 4 has everything to do with this point, and it's essential that we do talk about it because as we've been looking at the early Christian church, it's really helping us answer, what in the world does it even mean that I'm a member of this church? What does it look like? And in Acts chapter 4, along with maybe the best description, what we looked at, Acts chapter 2, the end of that, Pastor Taliano shared with us uh, last week, That combined with these words, Acts chapter 4, I would say are maybe the two best descriptions that we get of what the early Christian church looked like, what made them tick, how they acted, what, what they did. And when we look at these words, 
we see very clearly that membership to them in the church was so much more than just showing up to a building, a location, one hour a week, and, and that's it. And just, we see it was so less about themselves and so much about one another. When you look at the focus that we're going to be taking a look at with these people, when you look at their focus, their actions, their serving, their caring, where all of their attention was, you very quickly and very clearly see it was not focused on themselves. It was a very much other focus. They were, it was a boldness in how they treated with one another. It was, it was a boldness in how they shared themselves and every part of themselves with one another. And, and you see that, like I said, you see that very clearly in the words that we get to look at. And it's, it's my prayer that as we dive into this and dissect just how it was that they were able to be so bold and, and how that translates for us too today in the modern 21st century Western American church, how it is that we can be so bold in sharing, it's, it's my prayer that the Spirit would maybe, maybe potentially convict you if, if you've maybe been too comfortable with yourself and maybe a wrong view of, of membership, but also heal you and show you how good it is to, to share, how good it is to, to have a spirit that is concerned with one another. So let's take a ver- look at the, the very first verse here, Acts chapter uh, 4, verse 32, and you're going to see just how quickly you see the spirit of sharing and concern for someone else is so quickly evident. Luke tells us all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were that was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now that is a profound statement, okay? Just even take the first part of that. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, we know from the the times of Pentecost that that number is over 3,000. And then shortly after that, we find that that number is over 5,000 believers. There's tons of believers, but you got to understand, with tons of people come tons of different diversity. You've got all sorts of different people, all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different stories. And yet Luke tells us they were one in heart. They were one in mind. They were one in everything that they did. There was this unity that spanned all the barriers. A unity that spanned social classes. It went past economic barriers, ethnic barriers, racial barriers, gender gaps. You had all different kinds of people, rich and poor, young, middle-aged and old, Jew and Gentile. All of these people, all of these different people, all having the same mindset all having the exact same heart when it came to ministry and it, when, it, when it came to how they interacted with one another. And when you look at this, it would be an understatement to say, I've been struggling all week to try to figure out how to put this into words, right? If you're trying to dissect this relationship, if you're trying to describe this relationship and, 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 and show it to us today, what did it look like? I think the first word that, that I and, and maybe everyone would kind of gravitate towards is friends. I mean, doesn't this look like a bunch of different people coming together? It kind of looks like a great club, a great social environment. A great... 
this is a group of friends, but I would say that's, that's, that's good, but it's so much deeper than just friends. And the reason I say it's so much deeper than just friends, so much deeper than just a social club and whatnot, is because look at what they did. They, no one claimed any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had, everything. I want you to think of uh, the, the friends that you have in your life. Think of all those casual friends, all, all the friends that you have. And I want you to ask yourself, would you be willing to share everything with them? Would you be willing to open up your finances and say, here you go, I'll share this with you. <laughs> would you be willing, as you think of all those casual friends, to, to be in, would you open up your home? Not just for a hospitality visit, but like saying, no, here, here's a place for you to lay your head if you need while you get back on your feet. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing, as you think of all those friends, to share the keys to your car and say, here you go, and don't worry about topping it off when you bring it back? I, I obviously can't see your faces, but I wonder if there's some of you guys looking at the other people in the room or look, thinking of a, a certain person in your head thinking, yeah, no, <laughs> I would not probably do that, right? It, probably not, because you see, it's deeper than friends. This is a relationship that is deeper than friends, and and, and if it's deeper than friends, it goes to the next level. And it's really our first point, our takeaway. God's people don't act like casual friends. They, they act like a committed family. They act like family, a committed, true, genuine family. What a family should be, what an ideal family ought to look like. But I'll be honest with you, I struggled with even using that word family. And I'll tell you why. There's, there's two things I want to say about it. The first is because that word family gets so overused and is so cliche that it's almost like it's overused, it's lost its meaning. When I say family, I don't mean the cliche way that it's used all the time in advertising. Oh, we're a family atmosphere. We're family friendly. You'll hear college campuses sometimes in their advertising saying, oh, you're part of the family. You, we treat you like family here. We have a family environment here. And I say, oh, really? Is that right? So if I go to your campus and I'm really struggling in class and I go to the professor and I say, you know, professor, I am having a tough time keeping up with this workload. Could you slow things down? Could you help me out? Could you personally t teach me? Could, could you break things down even more for me? Do you think that professor is going to say, absolutely? I'll spend all my time on you. I'll slow everything else for everyone else down just for you. Of course not, because they can't. The professor is probably going to say, I'm sorry. Here's some help. Here's some tutors that we could get you. But if you can't keep up, you're going to fail. And maybe you need to drop out. Or maybe you need to find a different path. Doesn't exactly sound like a family. But hey, it's advertised that way. A little cliche, right? Work environments will say this all the time. Oh, hey, come sign up here and you're part of the family. Really? So I'm part of the family. So you're going to treat me like family? Yes, absolutely. That's what we do. We treat all our employees like family. Okay, so if I'm having problems at home, my home life is falling apart, and I go to my boss and I say, things are falling apart. Things are not going well. And I need some time off. I need to, to get things taken care of and, and then I'll be coming back because it's affecting my work life. I don't want it to. I don't want it to affect my productivity. So just give me some time off and I'll, I'll get things cleared up. Do you think your boss is going to say, sure, here's some paid time off for you. Take as long as you need. And, and you know what? When, you, when you're ready, there's a place here for you. 
I'm not going to lie, maybe there is a place out there that would do that. But I think for the vast majority of businesses, they would say, I'm sorry, but if you don't get things buttoned up and it does keep affecting your work life, we're going to have to move on without you. Does that sound like family? No, it's just a cliche thing that people say. Oh, family. That's one of the reasons why I hesitate to say it. When I say God's people don't act like casual friends when they act like a committed family, I mean a committed family. But I also don't want you to limit family to just genetics and DNA. And, and I believe we understand this one pretty well because the way we talk about family, the way we, we talk about other people, it's almost as if we talk about people who are family that aren't our family, right? If you think about it, when we, when we talk family... Sometimes if you think about those friends that you thought of earlier, maybe, maybe you think of a really good friend and you say, yeah, it's like they are my family. It's like that person is my brother. It's like that, that girlfriend. She is, she's my sister. <laughs> you know, she, she has been so close to me. She, that's, that's the son I never had. That's the daughter that, that I never had. That, that, it's like they're my second father. It's like they're my mom. We talk that way, right? Because what we start to see is, is like certain people can be so close to us that it's like you're, not, you're more than just a friend. You're, you are family based on the way we treat you and the way you treat us. It's family. Family is, is committed. Family is not casual friendships. Family is committed. And, and the biggest difference, the biggest way that I, I think I can break this down is to understand that the difference between casual friends and committed family is this. Commitment, commitment requires sacrifice. What you see here in the church, this description of these New Testament believers, it was not casual relationships, it was total commitment. It required sacrifice. Because commitment always requires sacrifice. We get that, right? If you're going to do anything, you're going to commit to something, it's going to require sacrifice. If I, if I use the illustration of like getting healthy, you know, working out, getting in shape, improving your health and your body, if you're going to commit to that, that means you can't have a, a casual relationship with it, right? You can't just say, yeah, it's a great thing, but uh, eh. I'll fit it in when I got some time and, uh, you know, I still like my flaming Hot Cheetos. I'll still eat a bunch of those and my donuts and every, all this sweet, you know, it's not going to work. But a person who's committed to that understands I'm going to have to sacrifice some free time, some other things if this is important to me. I'm going to have to sacrifice those flaming Hot Cheetos. I'm going to have to sacrifice those donuts. I'm going to have to sacrifice some of those other things. My desires, those wants that I have, but it's for a greater thing. It's for a better thing, right? Commitment requires sacrifice. And maybe the best way to, to illustrate this is with, a, get a little more personal, romantic relationships. When people go from a casual relationship to a, no, I'm, it's a committed relationship. When people come to me as a pastor, it's, it's happened already, they want to make the ultimate commitment. Pastor, I'm ready. I'm ready. We're ready to get married. And I, I say, great, let's do a pre-marriage course. And part of the reason why pastors do pre-marriage courses is to make sure people understand the commitment that they're getting into and understand the sacrifice that it's going to take. 
I can get some, a, a couple in front of me, and they say, we're so excited, we're so ready. And I say, awesome, I'm, I'm excited, I'm glad for you too. Understand, this is a commitment, yes. Understand, there's going to be sacrifice. So, which means if, if you are a little neat freak, yeah? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a neat freak. Okay, so you got a little bit of OCD in you? Yeah, I've got a little bit of OCD. I like things tidy. Okay, then understand, as you're going to live the rest of your life with this person who is not a neat freak, you're going to have to sacrifice some of that personality preference. You're going to have to sacrifice having some dirty clothes thrown all over the bedroom. You're going to have to sacrifice some, some makeup all over the counter. You're going to have to sacrifice some dirty dishes that are not put in the dishwasher, but are put on top of the dishwasher and not rinsed. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to sacrifice some of that. And, and you, maybe are a slob, you are going to have to sacrifice some of your laissez-faire attitude for the sake of your other person. You're going to have to maybe discipline yourself to take, care of some other things for the sake of your other half here, right? Commitment requires sacrifice. I think we get that. And you see that exact same thing happening in this early Christian church. These were not casual people who just kind of hung out and, oh, I know of this person and that person, but we kept our, 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 our distance, you know, in, in relationships. No, these were people who were totally committed to one another that they went to the greatest of lengths to sacrifice for each other. We're told that some of them saw that there were needs in the congregation, so they said, how can I meet that? I'll tell you what, a casual friend would just say, oh, sorry. But a committed person, here's what they say, you know, I've got a house. I've got some land. What if I sold that? Here you go, church. Here's the money. There's a lot of people who need this. Give it. I mean, can you? (laughs) That's crazy. Imagine, okay, hey, you got that extra lake house. Yeah, go ahead and liquidate that. You've got a boat. Go ahead and liquidate that. You got an extra car. Go ahead and liquidate that. And then take the money and give it to the church and say, hey, there's people who have need. Solve it. When you look at that and you say, that, like, that is crazy commitment. That is crazy commitment. And that's what they were like. Because that's what a family, an ideal, a committed family is like. People who don't let get anything get in, in the way of their sharing, in the way of their boldness, in the way of their sacrifice. And we say that about ourselves too, don't we, Trinity family? We, we say we are a family here. What's our, what's our slogan of our church? Trinity, a place to come home to. Because what do you find when you go home? What's waiting for you there? Family, right? Family is home. That's what's waiting for you there. And and so if if we talk that way about ourselves, is it just some giant cliche? We say, oh yeah, it's good for a slogan. I don't think that was a, it was a cliche when, when the members came up with that. I think they meant it. And so I guess the question that you have to ask yourself, you Trinity member or you member of whatever church, or, or if you, 
you Christian, you member of God's family, if, if this church showed us what, what it looked like to be a member, if they showed us what it looks like to, to be other person-minded, if, if this is what bold sharing and generosity and, and grace towards someone else, if, if this is what it looks like, then you need to ask yourself, could that same thing be said about me? If, if this is what a family looks like, do I fit that description? Now understand, this is a, a descriptive passage in Scripture. In other words, it's, it's not telling us to do anything. Nobody is saying here in these, in these words that you have to go and sell your possessions and give it to the church. Nobody, nobody's saying that. But ask yourself, are you a kind of person who is generous for the sake of helping someone else out? Or are you someone who, who's tight-fisted and, and holds back? Nobody is saying that you have to get to know every single person in the family, right? Nobody's saying that. But you do have to ask yourself, are you the kind of person who, who welcomes other people and is, will welcome other people, not just to the family, but even invite other people into the family? Or are you the kind of person that prefers to sit right in the back of church so you got a beeline towards the door and you can duck out quicker and sooner than when the service ends so that way you don't have to talk to anybody? Are you the kind of person that looks at other people as if they're total strangers and treats them as total strangers? Or are you the person who, who's, who wants to get to know them? Who at least encourages them and says hello? No, nobody is saying here in this passage that you have to be directly involved and invested in every single person's life and when you see a need, you've got to meet it. Nobody's saying that. But are you the kind of person that when you see someone hurting, when you see someone in need, that you want to help? And not just passively, not just from a distance, but you want to get involved that you'll invest your time, that you'll invest your gifts, your talents, maybe your finances, your energy for that person to help them, to lift them up? Or are you the kind of person who sees that someone else is in need and you say, not my need, not my life, not my problem. You know, I, I come here for me. I come here to be fed. Don't ask me to do anything. I think you're starting to see that if you're, if you're someone who says, no, my, my relationship with God, you know, that's a, that's a personal one. That's a private one. I keep it between him. And, and, and you know, my, my Christianity, I, I practice it on my own. And if you're saying that, 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 that doesn't involve anybody else, then maybe you're practicing an unbiblical membership in God's family. Maybe, Maybe you have an unchristlike relationship with other people. Which begs a question, so how do we change? How do we get away from that selfish kind of a relationship? Or or maybe how do we 
how do we grow in our, in our relationship with others and our otherness? How do, I, how do I become a more committed family member? How do, I, how do we become a, a better, stronger family? How did they? I mean, my, how in the world, what in the world would possess someone to say, yeah, here's my family, here's my land, here's my livelihood. Here you go, church, go ahead. And get. What, how could they be so crazily, so boldly committed in sharing and doing this with one another? How? And I'll tell you what the answer wasn't. It wasn't because someone told them to. It's not. There's, There's no account here in the Word that said the apostles got up and said, here's what you need to do. This was voluntary. What, What possessed them? Well, the apostle Peter did not give up and give them a a pep talk. And the Apostle John didn't give up and give them just this great, awesome TED talk that totally changed their, their whole perspective on things. Oh, this is how I'm supposed to... No. You know what happened? You know how the church acted like this? You, you know how you and I can change? Luke tells us. Luke says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Pause there. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The good news that Jesus not only died, but he rose. He's alive. It really is finished, and we really have the proof, and we really did see it. It changed everything then, and it changed everything for us. That was the message they preached, the gospel. And look what happened. Luke says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that they were no, there were no needy persons among them. No needy persons. What happened? How did they do it? How, did they cha- How can we change? Luke tells us the only way for this to happen is by the gospel. By the good news. By knowing what your God has totally done for you. By knowing That your God did not have a casual relationship with you and mankind. That your God did not look at you in your sin, in your selfishness, in your brokenness, in your lostness and say, Whew! What a need. Hope they figure it out. I'm I'm not going to... Your God did not just say, back away and just kind of slowly, Nope, they're on their own. No. Your God was so committed to you. That he looked at you in your lostness. He looked at you in your sin. He looked at you in your selfishness and he saw the greatest need. He saw you need total saving from your sin. And that meant a sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice on the Father's part. It meant sacrificing his Son. His one and only Son would need to pay the punishment for every single one of your sins. And as crazy generous as God was in sharing His Son, maybe the crazier thing was that He didn't hesitate. He didn't mull it over. He didn't say, hmm. He didn't do a cost-benefit analysis and say, well, I don't know. Is this ever since mankind's first sin, what did He do right after Adam and Eve fell into sin? He gave Him a promise. He said, I'm going to fix it. I'm all in. I'm going to save you. 
I'm going to do it for you. He bankrupt heaven itself. Putting his own son on a, on a cross to be tortured to death. And he turned his back on his own son, his own son. He turned his back on his own family so he wouldn't turn his back on you. So that he'd welcome you into his family. So that he could say, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my child. He did all of that crazy generosity. Because that's how much you mean to him. That's how committed he is to you. That's how badly he wants you in his family. And that's how badly he wants her. And that's how badly he wants him. And that's how badly he wants them. And when that message is properly understood, when that message melts your heart, that's what changes. That's how you and I go from casual to committed. From maybe holding back to sharing when we see everyone else the way, the way Jesus sees us, the way Jesus sees them. And that love is a love that not only is so attractive to us, but when it's shown through us. That is a love, that is a description, that is a relationship when, when people see it among us that is so attractive that the world will look and they'll say, now, now there's a family. It's not cliche, but real. There's a family I want to be a part of. God grant it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you didn't spare your one and only Son. You shared Him. You sent Him for us, for humanity, for the world. You gave up everything so we could be your family, so we could be your children. You showed us what love is. You showed us what, what bold sharing, bold generosity. You, you showed us what otherness is. So I ask that you would teach us today and that we would reflect not just today, but every other day, what that looks like in our lives. Give us a spirit that we don't just say this is a place to come home to, but we see it. And I have seen it. I have seen it in this church. I know others have seen it in this church. Now let us just be even bolder with it, especially during this time of a pandemic when there's so many people hurting and there's so many people frustrated and there's so many people who are angry. Let us be a committed family that reaches out, that loves and that continues to love more and more and more the way you loved us. Let us show your love, not just to our members, but to the world, so that your family continues to grow through us. 
Give us a spirit of boldness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.